Welcome to Onward in the Faith. My name is Ray Burns, and I want to provide you with a practical resource for your walk with Christ. Today, I would like to talk about how the Bible impacts our lives. Two episodes ago, we dug very deep into what the Bible actually is, and we concluded that the Bible, in its most basic sense, is from God. God inspires it, and so he gives us what he wants us to have within it. Now, going from that, we can understand one very important thing about God, and that, that is that God is truth. And so if God is truth, and he's provided us this source that points us to him in the Bible, then what that's going to mean for us is that the Bible is going to not just be a good source of truth, but ultimately our highest source of truth, because the Bible is from God. And so what that means is that when we're thinking about how the Bible affects how we view truth, how we view the world, what decisions we make in our lives— we can be led by a number of things. We can be led by our reasoning. We can think through things really well and come up with what seems right for us or right at the time. We can let our emotions guide us to truth and say, well, whatever feels good is what we should do. You know, just chase your happiness. Uh, our traditions can also influence how we view truth in the world. So whether it's how our parents taught us to view the world, what our current church faith tradition tells us about the world— those things can impact what we view as truth. And then ultimately, just the world we're living in can influence what we view as true and false or right and wrong. And while all those things are good to some degree, and while all those things will always have some impact on us, what we're going to discuss today is why the Bible has to come first. Why, if our emotions don't agree with the Bible, we don't change the Bible. We either have to change our emotions or... We ignore our emotions until they can get in line with what the Word of God is telling us. Because again, everything else that can influence how we view truth is part of a broken and fallen world. But it's only God who is fully capable of giving us absolute truth and, above all, truth that is worth following. Now, Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the two words that I want to focus on there for our discussion are the words living and active. And so when we think about the Bible, it's very easy to view it as just a nice little resource, something that we can turn to when we don't really know how to feel about a topic, or something where when we need to have a feel-good moment, we can go to it. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. What he's pointing out to us is that the Word of God is living and active. In other words, it's not meant to be something that's important or something that we look to with high regard. It is meant to be a very active participant in our lives. It is supposed to be so important to us because of, as he says, what it does. You know, it pierces the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. In other words, it is able to divide truth from false. It's able to get in between everything and, and be the center of every thought and every decision that we make. And ultimately, the reason that we turn to the Bible isn't because we just want to know objective truth. We want to know truth for ourselves. We want to know who is God, who am I, and how do I live understanding those two things? And so what the Bible does is it takes the guesswork out of life and instead replaces it with, here is what God wants for us. So in Romans 12, 2, 
Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, when we look at the language here, it says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Now, if you're not an English nerd, an important thing to point out there is that the idea of be conformed, be transformed isn't something we do. It's something done to us. Just like a piece of clay is molded, the clay doesn't mold itself. A statue is chiseled by an artist. The statue, the stone, doesn't chisel itself. And so when Paul is talking here about don't be conformed, but be transformed, he's saying that there is something that needs to happen to us. We can either have our minds warped and conformed by the world that hates God, or we can have it transformed. And where does that transformation come from? But through the renewing of our mind. And that renewing of our mind, as we're going to talk about, has to come from one source. It's not our own efforts. It's not our own version of truth. It's purely in the Word of God, because God gave it to us so that our minds could be renewed. And then as you read on in that Romans verse, it says that by having our minds renewed, by understanding the Word of God, and through that understanding the will of God, we can prove what his will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So by having our minds and therefore our entire lives touched and changed by the word of God, we're going to know who God is and what he desires. And we see again in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, about just how critical the Bible is in our lives and how it's not just a good influence, but something that radically changes us. And so here it says, all scripture is inspired by God which we talked about in that previous episode. But now it goes on and says, because it's inspired by God, here's what we should know about it. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What God's given us is for our benefit. It's for our growth. It's for us to understand and then be able to teach others. It's for us to be corrected or correct others, not based on what we feel is right, but but we by what we know is right, based on what God's given us. And then verse 17 says, So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Once again, by having the Bible impact our lives, by letting it train us and teach us and correct our errors and lead us to truth, we are going to be equipped. We're going to be adequate. We can't have that by our own merit, by our own ideas. The only way to get it is through this Bible that God's given us. And so if the Bible is given by God, if God is the source of truth, and if ultimately he gave us this book to guide our lives, then what is that going to look like? In what ways does the Bible guide us? Because as I'll talk about in a future episode, it's very easy to want to open the Bible and just say, God, tell me what I should do for a job. Tell me what I should do in regards to if I should marry this person or not. God, just what school should I go to? And the answer is not going to be found in the Bible. But at the same time, it kind of will be. And we'll discuss that in a future episode, so have that be a little uh, teaser for you. But in the big sense, what does it look like for the Bible to guide our lives? As we discussed at the top of the episode, when we are surrounded by things in the world that want to lead us to truth, our emotions, our intellect, the things that people around us believe, whether it's the world, whether it's people in our church, our family, our friends— All these things are wanting to pull us to their version of truth. 
and they don't do it maliciously. That's just the nature of living in a broken world is that everyone is seeking truth, but everyone wants truth in their own way. And I think we as Christians can admit that sometimes it's very easy to get stuck in what we feel or believe is right, so much so that we won't be corrected from it. But let's look at some of the ways that the Bible needs to come above all those things. And most of all, why those things can never lead us to truth, why they are so unreliable. So first, let's talk about how the Bible is above our emotions. So Jeremiah 17, 9, a very familiar verse, says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So here, Jeremiah is very accurately pointing out that our emotions and our desires are destined to betray us. Our emotions are based on so many things. What happened to us in traffic an hour before? The things that we're worried about, whether it's our job, our family, our health, just how people around us are responding. We have this culture right now where if someone is angry, it gives other people permission to be angry. And then more people become angry because everyone else is angry. And so we suddenly see something in the world, whether it's a celebrity or a pastor or even a friend, we see their action and on our own, we may have one understanding of it, but based on how our emotions are getting stirred up by other people or other things in the world, we may be even more hostile to them. And not only that, but our emotions are so good at making us feel better to our own destruction, because a lot of times it's our emotions that will lead us into sin. We will say, I know it's wrong to visit this website, but I feel like doing it. I want it. We may know that it's wrong to gossip or to lie, but in that moment, it just, for some reason, it feels so good to do that, whether it's to make ourselves feel better, whether it's to protect ourselves, whether it's to fit in with other people. Our heart tells us, yes, do this sin. It's okay. But the Bible is clear. Don't lie. You know, God, as we've said, God is a God of truth. He loves truth. He loves peace. He loves faithfulness in marriage. We know that God loves these things. And because we love him, we should love them too. Our emotions say one thing. The Bible says another. The Bible has to come first, no matter what we're feeling. And much like our emotion, our intellect or our reason cannot come above the Bible. And when I say reason or our intellect, I'm not saying that Christians need to dumb themselves down. They need to stop thinking. They need to turn off their brains. I hope if you've read any number of my articles on my blog, or if you've listened to any number of episodes on this podcast, you're going to know that one thing I value is having a reasonable faith, a faith that is true and informed and doesn't base itself off of traditions or emotions, but bases itself on what we can clearly see taught and explained in the Bible. But that can become problematic. So in Romans 8, 7 through 8, it says, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here we see that, our minds are just inherently broken by sin. Our ability to think and reason and to come up with logical conclusions aren't perfect. No matter how smart we may feel, no matter how intelligent or educated, even no matter how many people in the world who may agree with our understanding of something, ultimately, when our minds are set on the flesh, in other words, when our minds are set on the world, on sinful things, on pleasing ourselves, 
they're not able to please God to where even if something makes complete sense, even if we can come up with 10 reasons why a thought or behavior or belief is correct, if it disagrees with the Bible, we can't hold to it. So let me give you an example. Our culture is very angry. Parents are always yelling at their kids, husbands and wives. It's almost become a joke that they're going to fight. It's not a matter of if they're going to fight, it's how much, how often, and how soon into their marriage does it happen. And we're told things like, oh, everyone gets angry. Everyone fights. I would have gotten angry in that moment too. And as time goes on, we even have scientists and psychologists who are trying to point to things in the brain and say, well, you see, you can't help it. You're a victim of your body chemistry. You're a victim of your upbringing. And when we go down that road, what we start telling ourselves is that logically it makes sense that we got angry. It, it, it seems right that we would. Of course we would. If I grew up with a dad who was abusive, if I grew up neglected, if I'm in a marriage where my my spouse is unfaithful or they don't do the dishes, of course I'm going to get angry. And so what we do is we start justifying sin by finding ways for it to make sense, for it to be acceptable, and ultimately for us to be the victim. We will blame all manner of things. We'll blame our chemistry, our history, our circumstances. We'll blame Satan for making us sin. We will do anything we can to avoid taking responsibility because it makes sense. It makes sense that everything but us is responsible for sin. But when we do that, that's because our mind is set on the flesh. Our mind is set on us being the good guys, being the heroes of our own story. And therefore, we couldn't possibly be wrong in our anger. We couldn't possibly be wrong in wanting to commit any number of sins. There has to be a reason. We ha- there has to be a way for us to make sense of it and even to justify it to ourselves, to others, or to God himself. But what the Bible says doesn't care about our arguments. It doesn't care about our logic. It doesn't care about our reasons. The Bible purely cares about who is God and what does he say is right. Now, another area where the Bible needs to come before any source of truth is when it comes to man-made traditions. And this is one where I think there's some people in the audience who are probably just pumping their fist in there and say, yeah, down with traditions. And some people who may be a little offended or bothered at the idea that traditions are something that we should be careful of. And I'm going to please both audiences and probably upset both audiences a little bit. And I want to start with Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So if you're not quite sure what I mean by traditions, when I say it, I'm talking about those things that a group of people will believe as truth, sometimes with reasons, but a lot of times without reasons. They believe it because it's what they've always believed. And a lot of times, our traditions is a result of emotion or reason that's just been accepted by enough people for a long enough time. So our traditions can come from a lot of places. It can be what we grew up with. It can be simply what our church does or has always done. It might be what everyone in our own country believes. Ultimately, it's a matter of it's what I've always known or it's what I've always been told. And here's the thing. Tradition isn't inherently bad. Tradition itself can actually be very good. I know in our culture today, especially because we're coming out of a worldview where you always did things because that's what we've always done. People behave certain ways, pursue certain careers, 
think certain thoughts, hold certain beliefs simply because their parents did and their grandparents and everyone in the country does it. And it's this good thing that's become corrupted in our minds because we think that any tradition is bad because some tradition has been very bad. But here's where tradition can be very good for our walk with Jesus Christ. Tradition basically helps us to know what to believe until we can do the work and study it out ourselves. So for example, a lot of you would probably say that God is good or that the Bible is true or that Christians should go to church. Now, there are other people out there and sometimes even other Christians who will argue against that and they will use proof and evidence to support their claims. And as Christians, when we want to truly honor God and truly follow Christ, then we need to not just know what we believe, but why we believe it. Tradition is often the what. And that's fine because we can't just become redeemed and be forgiven by God and have Christ take the penalty of our sins. We get his righteousness and instantly in that moment, we understand all truth always for all time. No, there's a lot that we're going to have to get accustomed to and a lot of growing and learning that we're going to have to do. And tradition acts as a nice safety net for us that says Christians for decades or centuries have always believed this for good reason. And this is just what we believe. Now, sometimes we take that and say, okay, that's good enough for now. Or if it's something that we don't understand, something that we question, then that's a great time for us to dig in and see why do we believe this? Why have Christians come up with this belief system? You know, a, a great example of this is the idea of the Trinity. As I talked about in a previous episode about them, a lot of people will say, well, the Trinity isn't taught directly in the Bible. God never once said, I am Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We are three beings but share one essence. That's not explicitly said in the Bible. And so because it's not directly stated in the Bible, but we do have a moment in history several centuries afterwards where Christians came together and said, here's what we believe the Bible says about the Trinity. A lot of people will say, well, no, the Trinity doesn't exist. That's just your tradition. It's something that was man-made. So there's a lot of Christians who they can, they will believe, they will spend their entire lives believing that God is Trinity. He's three in one, but they can't ultimately defend it or explain why that's so. And if pressed, a lot of the popular answers will revolve around, well, that's what I've always been taught. And so that's where tradition becomes good because the idea of God as Trinity is a ridiculously hard concept, something that we don't honestly even understand because it's so unlike anything in the universe because God is so unique that we can't possibly compare him to anything within our own experience. But at the same time, it can become dangerous because we just want to sit on tradition. We say, well, it's what I was taught and so I know it's true. And so when we take a good thing like tradition and turn it bad, what we'll do is we will use our tradition to find truth in the Bible. We will find things in the Bible and we will read the Bible in a certain way and interpret it in a certain way that supports what we want to believe instead of letting the Bible change or create a new tradition. And so if we return to Colossians 2.8, where Paul's talking about not being taken captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. I don't think he's talking about tradition there when he says tradition of men. He's talking about how people think and operate. But what I do think he's talking about with tradition there is that philosophy and empty deception is this idea that people say things are true without having good, solid foundations for why it's true. It sounds good. 
and it appeals a lot to our reason and even to our emotions. And they all kind of work together to make us teach things to our children and to confirm things with people in our church that we say because it sounds good or what it's what we've always believed, but ultimately we don't have a solid foundational reason for why we believe that thing. And so this is where, again, the Bible just has to come before tradition. Whatever we believe, whatever we believe about the music we sing in church, the clothes that we wear, the Bible version that we use, if that matters to somebody or not, the things we say, the places we go, the people we marry, ultimately we cannot say, well, here's what I believe. Now I'm going to go to the Bible and find proof for it. Instead, what we need to do is say, what is clearly taught throughout the entirety of Scripture, not just one verse or two verses, but throughout the entire Bible, does my belief line up with what God has clearly shown? And if not, is this a belief worth holding? Should I abandon it? Or should I hold it for now until I can devote more time and energy to studying and talking to other people? Not to confirm what I want to believe, but simply to say, God, what is truth? Because that's ultimately what we want, is not to be right, but to be honoring to God. And finally, the Bible must come before anything that the world says about truth. James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James makes it very plain for us. When it comes to accepting the truth of God or fitting into the world, they don't mesh. They can't mesh. This is a world that brutalized and slaughtered Jesus Christ because it hated him. This is a world that mocks God, that is sitting under the judgment of God, not because God is mean or because God doesn't give them a chance, but because they don't want a chance. They want to sit in their filth, in their sin, and in their wickedness. They want to make themselves God. They want to think that they know best, that they know what truth is, despite what God says. That is the world that we want to look to when we want to say, well, I know the Bible says this, but the Bible's kind of outdated. They had backwards thoughts. That was just a belief system for then. Let's look at what modern people think. Let's, let's look at what is updated and new. When we do that, we are turning to the very enemies of God and saying, hey, what do you say about this? How can I fit in? How can I get understanding and truth from something that doesn't feel as boring and dry as the Bible? How can you kind of spice up my worldview in a way that I can kind of fit it with the Bible, but not so much that I'm different or other? And it's so destructive to our spiritual lives when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, people who have been redeemed, who have been purchased, former enemies who once hated him, who were standing under eternal judgment from God, for those people to then turn back to the world that they were saved from, from the vain and empty thinking that we once held, for us to turn back to that for truth because it feels new, because it feels embarrassing to believe the Bible— is dangerous to us. It's not just a bad idea. It's not just something that we probably shouldn't do. It is ultimately destructive to our walk with Jesus Christ. Instead, the world can say whatever it wants, and sometimes the world can give us good insight into the things of the Bible. But when it comes to things like purity or marriage or how we view our responsibilities as individuals or what we should do as employees— or the entertainment that we should seek out, or the things we should spend our money on, or ultimately what gives us purpose and value in life. The world is going to say one thing, and it will always go back to us loving ourselves over God. The Bible 
will always say one thing, and it will always be loving God more than ourselves. And as followers of Christ, we have the choice. We can go with what the world says. We can be influenced and have our mind molded and conditioned to believe what they say is right. Or we can reject it. We can say, I know the world says one thing. The Bible says another. The Bible is hard. The Bible calls for me to live in a way that maybe doesn't feel right, maybe doesn't logically make sense sometimes, especially when it comes to denying ourselves. The Bible calls for it so much, and yet the world says, no, don't deny yourself. Enjoy yourself. Follow your bliss. Pursue your happiness. You deserve to be happy. We need to choose what we're going to follow. Before Christ saved us, we didn't have a choice. We could not please God. But now we've been given the choice. We have the option. I can embrace the world or I can embrace Christ, but I cannot do both. And here's the great thing about the Bible. The Bible is given to us by God, and so it's what God wants us to know. It gives us the ability to do what God wants us to do. And what the Bible ultimately does, the way that it impacts our lives the most, is that it allows us, despite the world, despite sin, despite our own desires, it allows us to honor God and to live like Jesus Christ. Because throughout all of history, it's the Holy Spirit that truly changes us. We see that in Galatians 5 with the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work, but throughout all of history and throughout all of our lives, it's always been the Bible that he has used most mightily to change us, to grow us, to transition our minds from minds that love the world and love sin into minds that hate sin and love God so much. And I want to close with a thought from Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. When it comes to the Bible and how it impacts our lives and, and how it forms truth for us, We've talked about all the things that the Bible has to stand above. It has to stand above emotion, reason, tradition, the world itself. But ultimately, the Bible needs to stand above our own desires. It needs to stand above us. We need to let God interpret our life instead of letting our lives interpret God. We need to let God say what is true, and we follow that instead of us wanting something to be true and doing whatever we can to either make the Bible agree with it or reject what the Bible says because it doesn't. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we abandoned that life. We left that kind of foolishness and that emptiness behind when we turned to the cross, when we repented of our sins, when we said, God, everything that I've been pursuing, everything I've been trusting in has been so vain and empty and worthless. I don't want to be your enemy. I want forgiveness. I, I want a relationship with you. I want Christ to save me, and God wants to do that, and he's given us the greatest means for that in his word, because in it, he's revealed everything about who he is that he needs us to know. He's revealed everything about how broken and deceived and weak that we are, and above all, the Bible bridges those two things together through Jesus Christ. It shows how incredible he is and how, how worth it it is to follow him, and when we do that, the Bible doesn't just stand against who we are. It's not just opposed to our desires. Instead, the Holy Spirit, given to us by Christ, uses the Bible and takes our old selves, crucifies us with Christ, and instead replaces our empty 
and weak lives with something far greater, and that's Jesus Christ. I hope this episode has been useful to you and that God will use it to draw you closer to him. If you'd like to support the work that I do in this ministry, you can become a monthly donor at patreon.com slash onward in the faith. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to my podcast and also leave a review so that other people can know just how useful and valuable this ministry can be to followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Now, keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.